It is early. It is it really way is. early to do this. I was telling Guy, I have to. I was like, I have to get ready to go record, and he just kind of looked at me, and I was like, we're gonna start at eight thirty. He was like, okay. I was like, I haven't warmed up. We just we just ate cereal with milk. I'm like, that's two mistakes. And then he started doing the announcer's test as a warm up. <laughs> that's funny. So well, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm not worried about my articulators. I'm gonna sound raspy, but and deep. Ooh, deep. Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show, Man, the show where we talk about the musicals you love and why they're great and why they suck. I am your host, Brantley Wheeler, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Emily Chavon. Good morning. Good friggin' morning. <laughs> or afternoon, yep. if you happen to be listening to this or in the evening, afternoon. Or evening, or whenever. It could be four in the morning. I don't know your life. Good day. Good time. I don't know. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Hello. We're back on our bullshit. All the time. Do you know we recorded okay. episode zero exactly one year ago today? Ooh, that's fun. My Snapchat memories reminded me of that. Because <laughs> I took a picture of well, myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I had I have a picture of myself as well, but it, it didn't pop up in my memories, but I remember I do I did take one. It popped it popped up on my snap well, it was episode zero. Mm-hmm. So I I just took it because I was excited and I, I did post on Facebook about it. I remember that. Yeah. That popped so and that popped up. I think I did it. Well, I think I posted on Instagram maybe or something. Yeah. But I do. I have that picture somewhere, too. Anyway, but hey, if we ever get a Patreon, well, maybe we'll throw up episode zero for people to listen to. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Actually, it's really funny, like, listening back to... So, I don't know. Should we explain that we recorded four episodes in a practice episode a year ago and then stopped for the school year? <laughs> and then jumped, came back into it? Uh, and I now mean, we're suddenly back? I mean, you just did. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> but listening back to that stuff from a year ago, I f- it's like funny to listen to us talk about stuff because I feel like our friendship is totally different this year than it was last year. <laughs> Why am I meaner? Uh, well, I don't, that wasn't my initial thought, but. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe I just mean, was like, I, my meaning, was I meaner then or am I meaner now? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm on the same amount of d- to you and i think that's fine <laughs> but it's all in good fun yeah no i think it's just like we've been in the trenches for another school year together i think like i think we just work better now than we did then and i thought like back then we worked really well together yeah i'd say that's fair we're like jello that's finally set up all the way <laughs> yeah that's true but i think that <laughs> i almost feel like we're pulling back the curtain a little too much like hey shut up they're not supposed to know that we recorded four episodes a year ago and now we're coming back to record six more or whatever i don't care they, sure, i whatever. mean the the three people who are listening <laughs> your parents and my mother-in-law uh already know this right probably i don't know i don't think my parents even know i'm recording a podcast oh. <laughs> to be fair hey wheelers we're recording a podcast yeah <laughs> I think my wife might remember. <laughs> this has been a thing we haven't done in a year, so she might remember that this is a thing. Wow. The secret life of Brantley Wheeler. Oh, yeah. Okay, so today's episode is a little bit different, right? Because everything else we've done up to this point has been a stage production. But today, we're going to do a movie musical. Movie musical, as opposed to a stage musical. It's only ever been a movie. I don't think it's ever been on stage. 
right i hope it's not been on stage i don't know how that would work <laughs> i don't i don't believe yeah that's kind of true i don't know how like how you do a lot of the stuff in this on stage but today we're going to talk about across the universe which uh you know if you don't know jukebox musical very similar in vain to like mama mia or rock of ages um less so like jersey boys right because it's a story being told with songs versus like oh here this is the story of the band or whatever right yeah it's a traditional jukebox musical not a mm-hmm. bio musical right so if you don't know or haven't seen this movie across the universe is a jukebox musical using songs by the beatles uh which is different in relation to um what's the name of that <laughs> beetle musical that wait in the wings covered i don't know do you remember I don't remember. I meant to bring this up and I forgot what it's called. Oh my gosh, it's like if you took notes. I did take notes. <laughs> but like I, f- I forgot, I, ha- I had thought about this earlier and then forgot to write this specific thing down. Guess which one of us is the teacher? <sighs> I think it's just called Beatlemania. Yeah, it's called Beatlemania. Okay. So this is uh, like, anyway, Across the Universe is more of a traditional jukebox musical and less like the other Beatles musical, Beatlemania, which is more, it's kind of like a review, but tells kind of the story of the turmoil in the 60s and during Vietnam, that kind of whole thing. And weirdly enough, uh, Across the Universe covers some of the same stuff, but it's in a different way. So anyone that doesn't know, I'll give you kind of a brief, uh, not history, but kind of explanation of what across the universe is so it's a 2007 jukebox musical that was directed by julie taymor everyone's favorite broadway director and it's uh kind of circles around songs by the beatles uh the script is based on an original story created by uh taymor with dick clement and ian ian la frenet and based on the song of the same name by john lennon and paul mccartney right across the across the universe you know very popular beatles song um, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 14th, 2007, and was theatrically released later that year in October by Columbia. Uh, the film, when it came out, received mixed reviews from critics. The film was a huge bomb <laughs> when it came out. Like, nobody went and saw this movie in the theaters. And it didn't even make half of its total production back, which is very bad. Normally, you want to like break, try to break even with movies specifically, um, and we don't usually talk about box office information. But I felt like this was an important thing to talk about for this particular film. Um, but despite that, it received a, a Golden Globe nomination for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and an Oscar nomination for Best Costumes. So that's kind of and it's weird to hear that considering Best the costumes. costumes. I know it's kind of a weird thing, and we'll th- we'll talk about that later. But okay. it's interesting to me that that was that was a thing that they were nominated for with the Oscars for. But this movie came out, I think, right when we were having that kind of big resurgence of the movie musical. Like Chicago had just come out with Richard Gere and Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones. That came out like maybe a couple years before. I think that came mm-hmm. out in like '05. Um, Moulin Rouge, I think, came out in around 2002 or three. Yeah, this, I think, was kind of towards the tail end of that, like, little resurgence of Yeah, yeah. And movie what was musicals. Was there? Oh, Hairspray uh, was Rent, in there too, right? Hairspray and Rent, yeah, all those were kind of, I think Hairspray was 06. So it's like, yeah, they were all kind of in that little, that little bubble uh, where, but this is one of the few, like, 
this isn't is an adaptation. It's just an original musical when all of those were adaptations. Right. Which is just, you know, kind of interesting to think about. Um, anyway, but let's talk a little bit about the plot. I don't want to, I'm not even going to get super spoilery, but I'll just, I'll just kind of give a kind of a brief synopsis here about the plot of this film in case you've not seen it. But Okay. But here, here's the thing is that this mm-hmm. plot is all over the place and I, I, it is. I did write in my notes, I'm going to let you take this one. Um, okay. so I'm, I'm curious, I'm not, this is no pressure, but I'm going to time you and see how long it takes for you to give an adequate summary of this because okay. I feel like it's hard to explain. So, uh, kind of. Okay. So here, all right, get your timer ready. Here we go. I'm ready. Okay. The music of the Beatles in the Vietnam war formed the backdrop of this romance between an upper-class American girl and a poor Liverpudlian artist. Set in the 1960s, Jude, a struggling dock worker in Liverpool, UK, travels to America to find his estranged father. On the way, he finds a friend in Max, a college student and perpetual slacker who invites him over to his home for Thanksgiving, where he meets his sister, Lucy. Lucy's boyfriend is drafted to fight in the Vietnam War, where he dies in battle, which is convenient for the plot to move forward because she finds solace in Jude and they start dating. Elsewhere in the world, a high school cheerleader named Prudence is gay, and she drops out of school for some reason and hitchhikes to New York City. So, our other Mary Bandit protagonists, Jude, Max, and Lucy, all move to New York City, and they move into an apartment run by Sadie, a singer trying to make it big. And then we meet Jojo, who is a Detroit native who moves to New York City for the same reason as Sadie. Right? And then they start dating. Right? Lots of war stuff happens. Uh, like Max gets drafted, Lucy joins a protest group, Jude is just still struggling, only this time he's an artist instead of a dock worker, and everyone gets high at one point for what seems like a week. Like, it's not really established how much time it takes. And then Max gets PTSD. <laughs> okay, and then uh, also Bono is there. Okay, and I feel like that's the first half. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just to, literally just to finish it up, I said, love is gained, love is lost, but in the end, we all find out that all we really need is love that was one minute 30 seconds yeah and i feel like you really only covered about half of the plot and uh, there's a, a lot happens in this movie <laughs> so much happens and so little happens <laughs> also true <laughs> so it's it almost feels like so this i feel like this movie takes place over the span of like maybe a couple of years but time is an illusion yeah much like everything else in this freaking movie it's <laughs> And I'll be honest, I I do enjoy this film. I've seen it several times, just on my own. I like uh-huh. it, just because I like the Beatles. I think is probably why I did it. I mean, it it did give me a better appreciation for the Beatles watching this film because like I grew up listening to them, but like they weren't a band I listened to a lot. Weirdly enough, my dad was in a bluegrass band <laughs> growing up in Michigan, and. uh they would cover some Beatles songs, like they do Eight Days a Week and Hard Days Night, I think. Maybe a couple other ones, but uh so like I had an appreciation for the Beatles and knew who they were, but I really didn't gain an appreciation for the Beatles music until two things happened. One was this movie. The other one was the Beatles rock band, but we're not gonna talk about that. We're gonna <laughs> talk about the movie. I think I'd rather talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a great game. It's a great game. Okay, so I first saw this movie. I want to say probably in 2009 or 10. I think it was part of a music class in high school. Like maybe my music theory class. And I know my choir teacher slash music theory teacher really liked the Beatles. And so I think she probably worked it in somehow. I remember that I liked it. 
And I remember a couple of scenes. Uh, like I remember, I want to hold your hand. Uh, I've just seen a face. I want you. I remember Dear Prudence was in it. But I don't think I had mm-hmm. actually watched it since then until we were prepping for this episode. And I know that, like, my husband, for example, he really likes the Beatles. He hates this movie. He thinks it's terrible. <laughs> so uh, he, he was like, it's trash. But if you want to watch it. So he did not watch it with me. <laughs> um, but okay. so I watched it a year ago because we were originally going to record this episode last summer. Mm-hmm. Right. And then now I rewatched it yesterday and right. I, I have this in my notes from last year and I wrote this last year and it applied yesterday too. I wonder if I've ever actually seen the second half of this movie because I have no memory of it. <laughs> and then same thing yesterday. I was, I was watching it. I, I have my notes in front of me. I'm watching it going, I literally don't remember this. And I took notes like pretty diligent notes. I thought, mm-hmm. but maybe not. I don't, hate it (gasps) but i don't like it i had to make sure i gapped into the microphone for that one so everyone could hear it (gasps) i'll be completely honest with you that surprises me a lot (laughs) i don't hate it's just like it's i don't want to like this feels like this should be the ending but like i don't i just feel like there's it's just nothing (laughs) okay um sure i mean i won't necessarily disagree but I mean, there are definitely like I have in my notes here for me, there are highlights and there are lowlights, mm-hmm. but that's kind of like every, every movie I've ever watched. Even some stage musicals I've watched, there's highlights and lowlights, but it's, it's, it is a weird kind of amalgamation of a film, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I think there's some, there are some like great ideas and then there's some like points in the movie where it's like, what is happening right now? Like, what am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to think? Like for like an example, um, I'll just talk, we'll talk about highlights and lowlights. Let me start with some some of the lowlights here. What is the message of this film? What is it oh, trying to we're, say? We're jumping right to the big points. I have some theories. Okay. I mean, I, like, here is my, I literally wrote in my notes, um, war is bad, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, what else? Like, I don't, I don't really know, like, understand I've seen and like, like to be fair, I have seen this movie several times, and I still don't really know what they're trying to say. So why don't you go mm-hmm. ahead and take this one? Okay, so I I have two theories. Um, let's start with the theory that uh, the people who produced this movie knew what they were doing and came in with purpose and weren't just doing this because they thought it would be fun. Um, and the, I think the reason this movie is titled across the universe is because it's meant to be very slice of life. Okay. Like across the universe is in the movie, but it's like, I, I mean, I, I was going to say it's an act two film. Isn't really structured in two acts, but uh, we're going to call it act two. Cause this is a theater podcast. It's just kind of like, it's the, it's like our last summer from mama Mia. It's like, we need to give Harry a song and, <laughs> Who cares? It's too late. This song is boring. It's just one more number for everyone to sit through. Like it doesn't really drive the plot or do anything. Like I, I think uh, the production team just liked the song and chose to put it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like that. That's the reason there are so many characters and they're not all introduced at once. It's like, oh yeah, and this guy. Oh, and this is also going on in this. I think maybe like mm-hmm. maybe that's the point. 
maybe. Well, because like I said, like I mean, there are some characters I mentioned kind of in the plot synopsis, but like, yeah, we don't meet character. Like the only characters we meet right away really are Jude and Lucy, mm-hmm. and then also some like minor characters who we don't either we don't see again or they get killed off screen, mm. <laughs> right? Because like the I mean the the movie opens we see Jude sings girl which doesn't come back again into the movie. It's, he sings like half of a verse of the song or something like that. Oh, he sings he sings the first verse and like the chorus of that song and then it's done and doesn't come back into the movie again. Mm. Jumps into like the first of many Beatles references <laughs> in this movie, which I I want to come back to on, in a little bit, but um we see Jude is with his girlfriend in the UK and then Lucy is with her boyfriend in the US. And he goes into the military. He's like really excited to go. Jude is in London with, or in Liverpool. Sorry, because he's from Liverpool. I should be, I should say that. He's with his girlfriend in Liverpool. And then basically he's working at a dock, doesn't really care for it. And he's like, I'm going to go find my dad. But he doesn't tell that to his mom. Like he lives with his mom, but doesn't tell her that's what he's going to go do. He's kind of like secretly trying to find out where he's at. Mm. And then he just goes. He just leaves. Like he tells he tells his girlfriend like, "Oh, I'll write you." That's the, and that's the somewhat all my loving is like the kind of dual one mm-hmm. that they sing where yeah, it's both of them together but like it's Lucy and her life in America like with going to like the prom or something with her boyfriend and then uh Jude and the underground cavern where they're at. I can't remember the name of the venue that's in the Liverpool. I probably should have looked this up <laughs> where the Beatles like kind of like it's a reference to where like the Beatles kind of got their start, like as the Beatles. Cause I think, I believe it was their, I'm, I have, I know quite a few Beatles facts, but I'm pretty sure. I think it's called the Cavern Club. I think it's what it's called. Um, but it's the first time Ringo played with the band and that's when they became the Beatles. Okay. And that's like the place that Jude and his girlfriend are is a reference to that because there's four guys playing in the band mm-hmm. and then they're dancing to the song. Yeah, right? and when they're clearly dressed to be a to reference be the Beatles. to the Beatles. Right. right. And there's there are so many references. And like here's something that I, I kind of wrote in like a fun facts type section of my notes. Almost every character is either a representation of the Beatles, someone the Beatles knew in their career, like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, Mm-hmm. And there are like countless other references to other Beatles songs, whether that's through minor character names or locations or all this stuff. And I think, honestly, that's a pretty cool thing that they included all this stuff. Um, maybe it's heavy handed. I don't know. I actually I, that's something that I really hate about it. <laughs> yeah. is that They're just so pandering. Like I get making Sadie Janis Joplin like that's fine. And if you don't know who Janis Joplin is, then you're mm-hmm. and you miss that reference. Like I don't think you lose anything from this. But when he's right. in Liverpool and the one guy's like, When I'm sixty four, I'll be out of this place, you're like, shut up. Just put <laughs> when I'm sixty four in the musical. It's like, oh who who is she? Oh, yeah, she came in through the bathroom stop window. Making stupid like just <laughs> do the thing visually and let the people who will get the joke get the joke. I just think it's so pandering that we have to include it as a line of dialogue. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it's going to bother you cuz I was like, "Oh, hey, that's kind of a fun little nod to that thing." 
And maybe it's a way of like, oh, let's include these songs without having to include these songs. I mean, granted, and I'll say this, there are like at least 34 Beatles songs in this movie. And not all of them are sung. Some of them are yeah. just background. So here's a question for you. You've seen this movie many times. Have you seen the like behind the scenes stuff with the interview with Julie Taymor about making this movie? Uh, I don't know if I've seen the interview, but I've seen some behind the scenes stuff. Okay, so I watched this last year, to be fair. I did not wa- rewatch it uh, yesterday, but I have notes on it. Uh, and this actually comes up to my my second theory about this musical, which is just that Julie Tamar is coming off The Lion King. I don't know if she had done anything really significant between The Lion King and this or something that's like, you know, as notorious as The Lion King or say Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Hashtag remember when Julie mm-hmm. Tamar couldn't do any wrong. That's a really long <laughs> hashtag, but I'll allow it. So uh, there's interviews with her about creating this film and she said something like, you know, they're given like 200 songs to choose from and then create this story around mm-hmm. them. So my theory is she went through all the songs, picked the ones with names and then made them characters and then like picked some of the other songs and then just right. puzzle pieced it together. I mean, that's the problem with jukebox musicals is that you're like, oh, we like all these songs. Mm-hmm. How can we make this into a story? And I think this is maybe the worst offender in that regard is like there really isn't a story it just goes from one thing and then like suddenly there's a new thing there's not a a journey from point a to point b also in this interview uh she talks about justifying song lyrics like i i think that she probably picked all these songs and we're like okay here's a handful of characters we can include and then was like listening to the songs individually and thinking of what imagery she wanted to see for each song Like there's actually, I have this in quotes. I don't know if this is actually an exact quote or not. It's been a while, but uh, the quote is, she's so heavy. What could that be? What if they're carrying the Statue of Liberty like Egyptian slaves? Which does happen. (laughs) But but they're not like, I know I didn't come up with the term Egyptian slaves. Uh I don't think that's a good take or, you know, at least doesn't age well. But they're, they're not in Egypt. No, they're in New York City. Well, they're not in New York City. They're traipsing through Vietnam in that scene. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's true. It's because it's it's one of the many like weird, trippy dream sequence things that Julie Taymor just freaking loves for some reason. I honestly, if the whole film were like this, I think I would like it better. Oh, really? Yeah, I think like then it it feels like she's trying to say something, whereas some of the scenes are like, uh, I don't know. That sequence actually is one of I like that sequence better than many of the other sequences in the movie. But I, I, yeah, I just get the sense that she was listening to everything individually and then just like barely pieced it together to make a plot. But I also think that, you know, she has a background in theater. I think she's trying to think about musical theater conventions and finding justification, but it just doesn't work when you reverse engineer that. You need a story and then find songs that fit the story, not story to fit the songs. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, come up with a story first and then maybe try to plug a song in if you're going to write a jukebox musical that way. Well, and you can go through the list of names and be like, oh, yeah, we can use Jude. We can use Lucy. We can use Max. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. We we got those references. Those are the easy ones. But, like, then go back and say, like, what song might fit here? Sure. But the thing is, every character is either named after a song or is in reference in a referenced in a song. Like, the Beatles don't have a song called JoJo. Right. But in Get Back, he says, Get Back, JoJo. Yeah. So it came from there. I mean, I don't I don't hate the fact that that is a something that happens. <laughs> It'd be better than, like, in Mamma Mia if they named a, ch- a character Chiquiquita. 
right? Or something like that. It's better than that, in my opinion, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'll talk about some of the other things that, like, me as someone who is a, who is a fan of this film, things I don't particularly like. Okay. Um, so first off, I have to, since we've already talked about, like, the met, which is like the big the message like of like what is this film about? I think is the biggest thing. But um, why are there so many like celebrity cameos, but none of them are the Beatles? Because half of them were dead. But two of them are still alive, and neither of them are in the movie. Paul McCartney is in the freaking Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, but he's not in this. They couldn't afford him, and they didn't want Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. But I mean, look at let's sit, like I I looked up and here's here's the cameos that are in this movie. There's really only like four major ones. Okay, mm-hmm. the first one that we see is Joe Cocker. Um, and I mean, having him in the film I, makes sense to me. He did a a very popular cover of with a little help from my friends. So having Joe Cocker in this film makes sense to me. Um, so that was one I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I liked I like that particular cameo. I'm like, okay, cool, great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next one um, is arguably the biggest one, which is Bono. Mm-hmm. And I guess Bono's here because he's friends with Julie Taymor. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. Like, I don't know why Bono's here. But he plays a character named Dr. Robert, who, again, references a Beatles song. Mm-hmm. And he's some type of, like, weird, like, life guru person. <laughs> Um, and I guess he's supposed to kind of represent like the, that part of the Beatles life where it was like, Hey man, peace, love everything. Like that weird 70s stretch that they had and you know, there drugs, he represents drugs. His name just should have been Dr. Drugs. Anyway, but he's there. And then like the, and this is one of the times too, where he sings, I am the walrus, which again, doesn't, (laughs) that song itself doesn't really make sense, but he sings, I am the walrus. And then there's like a really long extended part where they also do two other Beatles songs in that section of the movie, but the other two don't have lyrics. Mm-hmm. Or they don't, they're just instrumental versions of the two songs, which are Blue Jay Way and Flying. I don't know why they're in the movie. Like, I guess they wanted to try to include as many as possible. So, like, oh, let's just throw in a couple instrumentals, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's probably the, arguably the biggest cameo. He actually has lines and like, plays a character versus the other cameos the next one is and i know i'm forgive me if this is incorrect but it's eddie izzard or Susie izzard mm-hmm. who plays the ring master of the i don't know nightmare sequence i don't know if that's the right term it was a nightmare for me that's how it felt to <laughs> me too um which i'm gonna come back to this song later <laughs> but uh but uh, then that's the next cameo and then the last one which is just kind of there is Salma Hayek, who plays yeah a bunch of nurses. I mean, I looked up her. I looked up the part, and on Wikipedia, her character is listed as "bang bang shoot shoot nurses." That's her character name. Yeah, that was one of the weirdest things. I'm like, why is Salma Hayek here? I mean, the thing that I don't I don't quite get the cameo too is like you know I mentioned like neither Paul or Ringo were in this film. You could have, I mean, I technically John. I mean, not technically, John Lennon mm-hmm. saying "I am the walrus." Why couldn't you let Paul sing that and just not have Bono? <laughs> or why couldn't you let Ringo see that and not have Bono? 
I mean, weirdly enough, Bono is dressed up like how I think Ringo would dress in that time. Like he's got like a he's got like a beard and he's got like rose tinted glasses and you know, why didn't they just get someone like Ringo to do it? I didn't think about that, but actually, yeah, you're right. That just was a weird thing to me. I mean, again, maybe it's just their friends or maybe it was an agreement that they made where like Y'all come in and do this part, but I want to sing more than one song. And then they had him in the edge record Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds for the end credits. I think maybe she was just cashing in favors for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> I mean, that's also a possibility. That opened in 2011. This has to be, It had to be already in the works. It was probably in the works by then, yeah. I should go watch Wait in the Wings again. He'll know. <laughs> Thanks, Brendan. Again, I'm going to keep shouting out this podcast. That his, his YouTube channel is incredible. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on to the next thing. Um, these two kind of go together. Okay. So I am going to talk about, for me, the lowest of low lights is being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Oof. wait, let me find my notes on that one. <laughs> the lowest of low lights in this whole film, because I question why it's in this film at all. You could almost completely remove it and you, st- it still makes sense. But at the same time, you can't because there's a part in the movie where, you find out because Prudence is living in the in the apartment or whatever with everybody else because they because Prudence is the girl that comes in through the bathroom window. She's there, right? That's how she comes into the story. Because mm-hmm. we meet her when she leaves wherever she's at, then gets to New York, comes in through the bathroom window. She falls in love with Sadie, and then she finds out Sadie and JoJo are a thing, and she gets upset, locks herself in the bathroom, and then eventually she just kind of disappears. Like, they go to some type of, like, Vietnam protest parade or something, and then she's gone. And we don't see her again until this sequence. Because apparently, Prudence ran away and literally joined the circus. They don't establish that Prudence has left, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, there she is again. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, she just kind of disappears. Like, she's like on top of someone's shoulders and like kind of waving around during the protest. And then she's gone. I think they kind of mention in passing that she's left. But it's like, it's a, like a throwaway line or something, but that she's gone. She's just not there anymore, right? And then we don't see her again until they're in this weird animated circuit. Like, they like Eddie Izzard or Susie Izzard comes out, sings this song being for the benefit of mr kite which apparently they they did in one shot according to to behind the scenes stuff they did this whole thing in one shot and then they go into the circus tent and there's like other weird trippy stuff happening and then there's some uh, a girl skate around going woo woo and they're like is that prudence and then she goes hi guys and like holy crap it's prudence and that's (laughs) where she's at she's been apparently in the circus i'm assuming hi the entire time just skating around and then (laughs) They meet up with her and she kind of joins up with them again after they leave the circus. After they walk out and I guess they're coming down off their high, I guess. But it doesn't really explain much of anything. But the the, the biggest, there's the two biggest things for me. Other than this being being a weird low light, because it's a low light for me because it, it's trippy. And it, it's, I don't even really necessarily find it that entertaining. It's just weird and trippy. Mm-hmm. But I also question, what is Julie Tamor's obsession with like, weird costume puppet amalgamations like these weird it's a puppet but it's a costume like yeah that worked with lion king that doesn't mean it works for everything because she does the exact same thing in spider-man in freak like me as i I know spider-man pretty well too in freak like me you have you have patrick page dressed up as this weird green goblin thing and then all these other villains come out in 
these super like disproportionate nightmarish looking costumes and i'm like is that just her aesthetic is she like tim burton but high like i don't understand like what her art style is like why did she choose this right and i bu- i think the blue people are supposed to reference the the blue meanie in yellow submarine i guess um i don't know if you're familiar with the yellow submarine movie it's animated film I'm not, no. I I don't know if this is evident. I'm not really a... F- I get hate for this all the time. I don't really like the Beatles. I don't dislike the Beatles. I just don't like mm-hmm. them. Like, I'm I'm pretty Beatles neutral. Okay, well, I just assume you hate everything, <laughs> so I'm just going to assume that you don't like the Beatles anyway, but thanks for confirming that. Um, and honestly, I've not actually seen Yellow Submarine. I've never actually watched it. I just know enough about it that the Blue Meanies are characters in it and then the Beatles play themselves pretty much Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think maybe these big weird like 8 foot 10 foot tall blue things are supposed to be a representation of those maybe but I just don't understand why this sequence is here. This is evidence under my uh, Julie Tamar picked out the songs that she wanted and then I think this got picked because Mr. Kite is a name and I think she, I think someone came up with the idea along the way, like, ooh, Mr. Kite could be a weird circus person. <laughs> they come up with the idea for essentially like a music video for the song. And then they're just piecing mm-hmm. these music videos together. That's, that's what I actually think happened. Yeah, know what? That's actually a, probably a pretty good argument because a lot of these sequences do feel very disjointed. Yeah, I think it's just, it's, they were approached all as individual pieces and not as a whole. And mm-hmm. I, mm, I'm not a famous movie director, so. Right. But you know what? That that actually does make sense. That makes sense, like, thinking about it in that way. Like, oh, because if you take the song, and maybe it was designed this way on purpose, because if you take the song or the, the, the scene out of context, you're st- it's still entertaining for the most part. You know, you could sit there and watch, oh, like, oh, this is a cool, like, like I'm thinking specifically of I've Just Seen a Face. Mm-hmm. Where they had the whole sequence in the, like, the bowling alley. I'm like, that's a cool scene to watch. Yes. And you take it out of context. You're like, oh, this is cool. And might pique your interest in watching the whole movie. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Where it feels more like like if someone went to MTV and just happened to pick all the, put all the same people in these different music videos and then just recorded them. And then you staple them together, call it a movie. <laughs> yeah. Also, I hate circus stuff. So this whole sequence made me uncomfortable. Not just that the puppets were creepy. Like, I just don't like this. Like, there's something about the circus that, like, there's... Gather your thoughts, Siobhan. Uh, <laughs> there's something about, a, like, a freak show that makes me feel kind mm-hmm. of sick. We're like, oh, let's go and point and laugh and be amused at people who are different. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And then number two, I also get pre-secondhand embarrassment anxiety because like what if someone falls and gets hurt or they mess up and they feel bad then I feel bad and it's just nope (laughs) I hate the circus (laughs) and and like the puppets and all in that sequence are so creepy and that's with me being a hundred percent sober I have never done drugs but I know if I did drugs I would just have a panic attack like drugs don't seem fun (laughs) this is already scary yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's it is a weird part of the movie. It doesn't really make sense, I guess. I mean like but the thing is that's frustrating for me about it is like, oh, we can just cut that part of the movie, but like but you can't though, because it explains where Prudence was and where she and like now she's there again. 
Or you could just not have prudence because she doesn't do anything. She doesn't do anything. I mean, here's the thing. I think TV Capiro, who plays the character, I think she's great. But yeah, you don't really, she doesn't do anything in this whole movie. She's just kind of there. Uh, we, we, we're going to have her here because we want to use Dear Prudence because that's a name and it's a song people will recognize. Uh, we can uh-huh. make a reference to her coming through the bathroom window. And we also really want, I want to hold your hand. So let's slip in this undertone of, oh, isn't it sad that this girl has a crush on another girl and no other girls like her? I think that's that's the only, like, Prudence as a character does nothing. And I, I just think that's bad writing. <laughs> You know that uh, yeah, that's that's pretty true. But anyway, do you have like what are are there? <laughs> I know you didn't like you thought this was a very nothing movie, but do you have any other specific like low lights? Because that's really all I had. My biggest problem with this movie actually is that there are too many characters for me to really care about any of them. And I think you can okay. argue. I think if you have to pick one main character, the obvious choice is Jude because Jude starts and ends the film. But I don't think Jude has an emotional journey, like really at all. I mean, yeah, I suppose that's true. Like he shows up, he's, he looks for his dad, falls in love with somebody else, cheats on his girlfriend. And then that's kind of, then he gets, he has a tantrum because like, you're not paying attention to me. And he has a tantrum and gets into a fight gets sent back to London or gets sent back to Liverpool. I keep, I keep referencing the UK as London. I know the UK is not just London. Get it together. Get it together, Wheeler. Okay. But he gets sent back to Liverpool and he's, then he's trying to work really hard to get back there. And it's at the end of this movie, it's really kind of confusing about what happens, right? Because he finds out in a local newspaper that the building that the protest Lucy was working for got blown up because the protesters who were leading this group were building bombs, right? They were building bombs to bomb other places, right? As the assumption, but they're building bombs. Lucy's in this building, but she leaves. They go off accidentally and kill a bunch of people. He looks in his local paper and sees that this happened, right? Mm-hmm. And then he like takes the paper and uh, and out of grief, I suppose, takes the paper and tears it up. And then we like, oh, now we're back to the beginning of the film where he sings girl. Right. And then it cuts immediately cuts to Max sitting in a wheelchair with Lucy and Lucy is there and she's fine. I watched this movie yesterday and I don't remember any of that. I did not watch this movie yesterday. I watched this. I haven't. I cannot tell you the last time I watched this movie, but I remember everything because I've seen. It I just. Times. I remember all the like. I remember the hospital scene with Max. I don't remember the yeah. newspaper at all. Like it's just so nut. Like this is if we're gonna argue that Jude is the main character, quote unquote. It's just like sad boy with bad haircut wants love and attention, seeks from many people, <laughs> travels world. Like that's. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but like, then at the end of the movie, like, what happens? Like, you find oh, find out Lucy's fine. Max is suffering from PTSD, and eventually he recovers. Somehow, as gets in contact with Jude, tells him, "Oh, hey, Lucy's fine, and by the way, she still totally loves you. You should come back." And then they somehow work it out in secret for Jude to come back. Max takes him in the taxi to a specific building which is now a record studio for Sadie and Jojo. I think it's called Strawberry Records. I think it's the name of the being. Is it called Jam something? Strawberry Jam or something like that. Because he paints a picture of a strawberry. It's on the cover. 
he paints I a do picture remember of a strawberry that part. I said in an emotional fit of rage. Juicy and red like jam. I was like, yeah. gross. Ugh. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> yeah. In a in a what's what's the song that he sings in that? It's oh um, it's a duet between Jude and Max, and they sing uh, "Strawberry Fields Forever." Of course they do. <laughs> And that's when Max gets like hurt or something, and he ends up, he gets injured in in the war in Vietnam. Oh, this is yeah right? before during during. The it's kind of like it's kind of in that sequence, but it's a little bit later. Again, this it's the story itself is kind of a hot mess, even despite the fact that I like this movie. It's all over the place. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's sometime between Strawberry Fields Forever and Helter Skelter's when. Max gets hurt and ends up in the hospital and he sings happiness is a warm gun. But anyway, back to jumping back to the end of this film, right? So all this is happening. Jude walks up, sees his like little strawberry thing and he goes in and he's standing, they're all standing on the rooftop playing. Don't let me down, mm-hmm. which again is a reference to like the Beatles last life performance, though they're standing on a rooftop of their studio and playing. Right. So the movie starts and ends with a specific locational Beatles reference. And then, like, Max invites Lucy to come and see this performance, invites her up to the roof. But she walks up, sees the logo on the door, which is this painting that Jude made. And she gets like, oh, I miss Jude. And she, like, leaves. And then she's like, and she's, I don't, I'm like, depending, like, it's weird, too, because the amount of time it takes for her to see the logo and then turn and walk away. Like, they sing most of the song. They sing most of Don't Let Me Down before the police show Mm -hmm. up. I mean, I guess they're partway through the song when she sees it and starts walking away. But then they start leading everybody downstairs, you know. But Jude hides out and sneaks up there. And he starts singing All You Need Is Love. And then she hears him singing and she goes, oh, and she runs back. But then can't get up to the building because the police are blocking it off. So she goes up to the building across the street. And then they see each other. And then it's like, oh, it's like I loved you all along. And then the movie just ends. That's what happens at the end of this movie. That's kind of it. And then we go back to the trippy underwater sequence from Because. (laughs) so that's like that's this whole this whole thing uh yeah again i mean i do like this film even though it probably sounds like right now i don't uh but that's why i wanted to start with like some of the negative things that i don't particularly care for or i thought were like weird yeah so my point in all that was that there's too many characters like I, i don't care about any of them i think the way to fix that would be to either focus on a couple of the characters. Like, honestly, I think Lucy and Max are more interesting than Jude or Prudence or any of the side characters. Um, so focus on a couple mm-hmm. of them, and those are the two I'd recommend. Or we need to introduce all of them in an opening number. Like, start with the song Across the Universe and show me what all these characters are doing. And like set me up mm-hmm. to know that I need to pay attention to all of them. Because we set up Jude as the main character in the opening. And then I'm also supposed to care about Jojo 20 minutes later. Like Jojo yeah. doesn't come in until way later. And only as a, a secondary character in that scene. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, Max and Lucy have the best emotional journey. So why aren't we focusing on them more? I don't care about Jude. <laughs> Well, Jude only exists so we speaking, can say hey this. Speaking of Jude, I want to talk about this real quick because we're on the topic of characters. I do want to shout out that I think all the actors do a great job with yes, what they're given. Correct. And they all sound great. I think they all sound great. I don't think anyone that's like I think it was a good idea to either get to get lesser known actors for these parts and trying to find someone like a big name Broadway people to do it. I thought that was a, a good idea. 
Um, then again, most of the time with Hollywood movies, they don't get Broadway actors to come in and perform for movie musicals. They always get actors who can sing, which does and does not work out <laughs> depending on what you're watching, mm-hmm. right? Um, like, like, but you they did that. Like, for example, they did they brought in the Broadway cast for Rent, but I don't know how well that movie performed offhand. Probably not well. And then for Chicago, they brought in three big names and it did pretty well. Yeah. Right. They brought in Richard Gere, Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones and it did pretty well. When I think for this, this particular movie, because it's all Beatles music, like it doesn't, they don't need to be Broadway performers. Bring in some musicians. Right. And I did. So I actually looked this up. Um, The characters that play Jojo and Sadie respectively are uh, Martin Luther McCoy and Data Fuchs. Uh, Dana, sorry, Dana Fuchs. She plays Sadie. He plays uh, Jojo. Mm-hmm. And they're, they are musicians. They're not actors. This is like their feature film debut. And then we have, you know, uh, we have Evan, Evan Rachel Wood, probably the most famous person to come out of this film, probably. Evan Rachel Wood is Lucy. Jim Sturgis is Jude. Joe Anderson is Max. And then TV Capiro, like I said, is, is Prudence. And those are kind of really the only, I mean, they're the quote unquote main characters of the story. So like there's other actors that are in this like uh Dylan McDermott is in it or sorry not Dylan McDermott Dylan Baker is in it which he's a face that you recognize he just plays he plays Lucy and Max's dad but he's only in it for like one scene maybe mm-hmm. two scenes and that's that's it um but I think not getting big name actors for this I thought was a good call and probably was a creative choice just because like I think they didn't necessarily want like a big name attached to it other than Julie Tambor but then again, I don't even know if Julie Taymor is like well known throughout the film world, but she's well known throughout the theater community. I'm looking up her body of work. Oh, she hasn't really directed that much for film. It's mostly for theater. Yeah, that's why why I thought that was the case. Since she has twelve films under her belt, I think three of them are Shakespeare. <laughs> uh yeah. I maybe that's where some of that credit comes from is that she does the classics. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she. I mean, she did direct Frida, and Frida is a very well-regarded film mm. with starring Salma Hayek, which is probably why Salma Hayek is in this movie across the universe. Yeah. Anyway, what were you gonna say? Oh, um, again, to the point of there are too many characters. I think this could be improved by double casting some of those secondary roles. Okay. Like my favorite cameo performance in the show is Joe Cocker. Show movie is Joe Cocker. Mm-hmm. I think we could have combined. Yeah hit that character that he plays with come together mm-hmm. he's three different characters in that uh and ugh, whatever bono's character is i forget dr robert i think all of those characters could exist but i want to see the same performer do all those parts and they're introduced at the same time so just let joe cocker appear as multiple characters i also think he could have been mr kite like just put the same performer sure. in all of these different characters to kind of i think that would help tie things together better I think you're probably right. If they were to ever do a stage production of this, I think all that would be one character. That would make more, it would be one actor. It makes more sense to do it that way. Yeah, but on stage, you don't necessarily realize that they're the same person. I think that's the beauty of it being film. Just cast the same person right. in all of those parts. And you're like, hey, that's mm-hmm. that same guy from before. What does this mean? And then, you mm-hmm. know, it makes me think that maybe they're thinking something. I also think maybe Lucy's dead army boyfriend could be in the draft scene. And be, you know, they, they have Salma Hayek playing multiple nurses. Why don't they just cast him as all of the soldiers? That's a good point. 
It could have been him and also like all his all of Max's dorm buddies. Yeah, right. Like bring these people back. Mm-hmm. So I th- yeah I think that would have been solved. I don't know. There's there's so much going on. Or like, let it be does not fit in with the rest of the story. It's a pretty arrangement. But it, it's like, oh, yeah, the Detroit riots were going on at this time. Let's throw in a passing reference to that. Yeah. Like your boyfriend being killed in action and the Detroit riots, both sad things, not equivalent things. And I think this song tries to make them equal and they're not. No. I mean, I guess in the in a passing way, it tries to compare the war overseas with the war at home, I guess, with the Detroit mm. riots happening at the same time. I guess that's the re- that's the main reference there. Um, but yeah, I, th- I mean, for me, I think you're giving more credit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I might be. I might be reading into it more. Um, but anyway, so how many how many more negative things do you have to say before um, I switch gears here? I have two other like minor little bullet points that uh, I think okay, are sassy and funny and on brand for this. So um, the Thanksgiving dinner scene. Why are his parents so upset about him not going to college? How many people actually graduated college at this point? And they're obviously wealthy. You're living at a time when you can totally get by, live comfortably on a high school diploma. And then I wrote boomers. Am I right? <laughs> uh, maybe. But like, it's probably one of those. I think they. I think they are paying for his college, and that's why it's like, why are we paying all this money for you to go if you're not going to do the work, right? Yeah. Well, then he's like, I'm going to drop out, and they're like, What are you going to do with your life? I'm like, who cares? You're an attorney. You're you're living in a mansion. It's the '60s. You could buy a house for like twenty five cents. <laughs> I think it has to do with just like I, I suppose expectations at the time. I think I don't know if like college was something like I wasn't around in the '60s. I don't know if college was like something that was really pushed on people back then. But like I mean, I guess that like I mean, it's supposed to be like well, Max has to go. Max has to have some important story element. So let's put this in maybe. Okay, ready? The percentage of adults who had completed high school, this is in the 1960s. Right, this is according to the 1960 census, sorry. Percentage of adults who had completed high school rose from 34 to 41% over the decade, and the percentage who had completed four or more years of college went from 6 to 8%. 8% of people graduate from college. <laughs> what are you upset about? Maybe it's a reputation thing because if his dad's a wealthy attorney and like, oh, my son can't yeah, do this. Yeah, you can pay to keep your... Well, he goes to Harvard... Right, he Princeton, goes to Harvard Law. Oh, yeah, Princeton. Yeah, it's one. It's it's an Ivy League school. He's going to an Ivy League school with the expectation, I suppose, that he's supposed to follow one of his father's footsteps, even though he doesn't want to do that. But I guess I'm my assumption. Again, maybe I'm giving more credit than the movie actually is is putting out there. Maybe it has to do with like just the um, the father, the parents' expectation, and his reputation as an attorney versus like like oh, I can't have my son be a low life dropout. Because I'm a I'm a famous attorney or whatever. That's the only thing I could think of that maybe that's that's what the implication there is. I mean, I think it mostly it's just to set up conflict so that Max has a reason to leave, so they can go to New York. That like, too. When I don't get along with my parents, like yeah, me too, Max. But like, <laughs> it's not the end of the world that you don't graduate from college in the 1960s. In 2023, uh, you know, there's more expectation to have gone to college, but at that point. You don't have to have shit education and you can have a, a job that pays you well enough to support yourself and your whole family. Anyway, yeah, that just like that whole scene made me roll my eyes when I watched yesterday. Um, and then this bullet point, the double use of songs like Let It Be and I Want You. Ah, yes. The draft and forbidden romance. Those are the same thing. 
<laughs> I guess they're just trying to lean really heavily into the double meaning of what? I what? want you. What? I guess. What? That's the only thing I can probably think of for that. But even then, like, I get what you're saying. That's kind of a weird just yeah, like why do they both have to just let the song be the one thing that that's the problem with again with jukebox musicals is that we're trying to force this song to fit into our story it's like no just just write a song that fits both of those things like a responsible musical theater writer are you done <sighs> yeah okay great <laughs> so now i want to talk about some things that i actually liked that like make this surprisingly i do have some of those too <gasps> I'm gasping again. Okay, so here we go. Uh, also, fun fact: uh, all the vocals record that we hear in the movie were filmed on the day. These are not re-recorded in the studio, and I think that's pretty cool and a testament to these actors' abilities. With as some exceptions. With some exceptions, sure. Because like, there are like places example, where there are lip dubs that are bad. Yeah. Right. But like, yeah, there are there are some exceptions, but most of the stuff is recorded on the day. Um, the soundtrack was recorded later, right? Because like and they have two different versions of it. That's not really important, but um some hi- some here's some songs that are highlights for me in in the movie and I really only picked like I I think f- like my four favorite parts of the movie. Okay. Right. There are parts that like I, I actually I'll give an honorable mention to I want to hold your hand. I think it's a very fun or very a, a more creative kind of interpretation of that song as far as like stylistically, right? Cuz it's one of the Beatles' first songs. It's used, it's very like pop pop rock, and then in the movie it's more what's well, I don't, what's the, I don't know like what genre I'm kind of thinking of. It's still poppy, but it's just slower. They change the ballad. tempo and a uh, change it to a ballad. Great, sure, we'll go with that. They change it into a ballad, and it and I think it works for that one. So I'll give like an honorable mention to that particular that particular number. Um, my favorite sequences are I've just seen a face because it's super fun, and I think it fulfills everyone's fantasy of wanting to slide down a bowling alley lane just run and woo you know it's just fun um other than the fact that it's just a fun sequence and like the timing of the the intricate timing of that number is really good it's like how they have to make Mm. everything work the way they have to make it work and i think it's a very well shot very well put together scene i think with a little help from my friends is a very fun number because it kind of leans into like um I mean, it's just four guy, like four or five guys hanging out, getting drunk, and I think that's fun. Um, and like that song itself, kind of, I think that song lends itself to that type of performance and that type of interpretation of the song. Because then by the end of the song, they're just they're completely hammered, and they're like spinning out in the they're sp- like full on spinning in the <laughs> like in a field mm-hmm. or whatever, like on campus, like in the quad or whatever. And I just think that's a really fun, a fun sequence in that in that particular one. It's very fun. Um, and the next one I'm going to talk about is I really like the harmony in Because. Um, it's, you know. Which one? Which one is that it, one? Is that the underwater one? It's the underwater one. But, like, I like the part of it before that where they're, like, laying and laying on the ground in, like, a oh, circle yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. all okay. singing it. That's the part of that. I'm talking about that specific part of the song. When they're underwater and it has all that kind of stuff, like, I don't really. It goes. You go from a trippy moment to a trippy moment. But the beginning of that song is is a quiet moment, kind of between those two num between those two parts between Mr. Kite and the kind of latter half of because. But the part in the middle where they're just all laying on the ground and they're all just singing in like, it's like fifty seven part harmony or whatever it is, like it sounds really really good, 
And I would argue that that part of the song is better than the Beatles version. Okay. And I just think like, I mean, the Beatles also can only do so much. There's four of them, right? So they're all, they're singing in four part harmony in that, in their song. But this song is like nine part harmony in the movie. And one, I don't think that's very easy to do. Um, But two, it's just, it sounds very good. It's very beautiful and haunting the way that song is structured in that particular part of it. If that makes sense. Sure. Uh, and then for me, the biggest highlight is something you've already mentioned uh, as being like, why is this here? But Let It Be is the best song in this whole freaking movie. Disagree, but I do think it's a pretty arrangement. So you can disagree. That's fine. We can talk, we'll talk about it. But like, I think Let It Be is the best version in this movie. Uh, big props to Carol Woods and Timothy T. Mitchum for singing this song. It's not really a duet, right? They both sing in it, but it's not really a duet. Mm-hmm. Um, these two actors, performers, went on to do this at like at like a Beatles like 50th anniversary something some type of like big event for the Beatles. They went and performed that song for them mm-hmm. at this big event, and I think that's pretty cool. The song being like this gospely arrangement of this very emotional song, and I know we've kind of talked about this before, but I am like I'm like a crab. I'm hard on the outside and soft in the middle. <laughs> and the first time I watched that number, I openly cried. I was by myself sitting and I, and I never saw it in the theater. I saw it at home. I, I bought the DVD, took it home or Blu-ray or took it home and I watched it. And that part made me cry because of the emotional journey that that song kind of takes you on. And like, kind of like the, and I felt like the gut punch that you get in the middle of it because of what's happening in that, in that particular number it does feel disjointed from the rest of the movie because we don't see any of these characters except Jojo again. And I know the whole point of that is to kind of set up Jojo of who he is, where he comes from, but that's kind of it. There's no other, no other reason for the song to be there, but I may also be biased because let it be is probably my favorite Beatles song. And if it's not my favorite, it's definitely up there for me. Mm. So I think that's part of it as well. But like, I think that's the best song in this entire movie. And I think individually on its own stands on its own the best. Okay. That's fair. I I mean, I do think it's a really pretty arrangement. And I think of all of the covers, especially the ones that kind of bend the style and genre, that one works really well. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite is Come Together. That's definitely up there. It's It's got to be the second best one because Joe Cocker freaking I know. kills that song. He, I movie. think his voice is great for it. I it, That might come together. If I had a favorite Beatles song, that might be it. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I just don't care that much about the Beatles to have a favorite. but It may be basic, but it's a good choice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I think Joe Cocker's great in it. And so like, let's just replace all the other side characters with him because he was so good in that <laughs> song. Like. I like the yeah. the grittiness. He brings such a good, yeah, he brings a, a lot to that song. And if you're going to have Joe Cocker sing a Beatles song other than the one that he already covered on his own, that's that's probably the best choice to do. Mm. It's so grimy and gritty and so, yeah, so like good. Um, also, another honorable mention for me, I, I actually like Revolution as a song. Um, I do think, you know, thinking about it, that, it's literally Jude having a temper tantrum is how, how they use Honestly, the song. Honestly, of all of the songs being used to further the plot, that one probably is the best. I would agree. And I think that's why it's a, it's a highlight for me as well. And it, it 
what the story that they're that they're telling in this film, it probably fits the best as far as like he yeah, he's upset because instead of Lucy focusing on their relationship, she's focusing on this cause, mm-hmm. right? And he's feeling left out and alienated, so he's like he blames the cause and so he takes it out on on the people that are involved in that, not necessarily on her. He's upset at her, but he I mean he straight up punches the like their leader in the face. Because he's so mad about it. And, I mean, I, I get all of that. But, I mean, it's a really good use of that song. And so it's a highlight for me. But, like I said, it's it's more like an honorable mention. Mm. But still, it's great. there. And uh, I really like Martin Luther McCoy's version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. It's, like, right after that. Mm. But he's just a great singer. And I just like hearing him sing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, he he sings that and, oh, and the second half of Oh Darling. And both times I'm like... Get it, Martin. Get it. It's so good. He, I feel like he, he is a character, doesn't really need to be in this movie, honestly, but he's as good as he is. He's underutilized. I wish he was in it more. And he's the, he's the Jimi Hendrix stand in. They were good friends with Jimi mm-hmm. Hendrix. And it's very, like, when he, when they're on stage singing, Oh Darling, it's very obvious. That, oh, he's Jimi yeah. Hendrix. The only difference is he's right handed and Jimi Hendrix is left handed. Yeah, I didn't catch that. For as on the nose as they are about some things, that kind of surprises me that they didn't ask him to play left-handed. Or at least pretend to play left-handed. Yeah, I'm like, well, he probably can't. Because I think he's really playing that guitar. Okay. Mirror it in post. <laughs> Just imagine, like, half the screen that he's in is flipped yeah. around. It's like the bar continues and then it, it like cuts and then it's like oh, another part of the bar. Like, it's just shoddily... That's what I'm imagining, and it's just a funny, funny picture in my head. What else you got? And <laughs> anyway, um, that's really kind of it. I mean, we've talked about this so much, but like, I think it highlights too how good the Beatles are at writing songs. Um, and I know you said you don't particularly, you don't really care about the Beatles that much, but like I said, kind of at the beginning of this, that this movie made me really appreciate the Beatles more, and kind of fall in love with more of their like other their other music that I wasn't already familiar with like the really popular stuff I knew but some of the other the, the smaller numbers like because and uh blackbird was something I hadn't heard I, re- I hadn't heard before this movie honestly uh girl is another one uh you know if I fell was another song that I hadn't heard before this movie so it introduced me to all these other Beatles songs that I didn't that I hadn't like Obviously, we're still around. I was born in 89. They've been around for a long freaking time. But I just didn't know that they existed. And it made me delve more into the Beatles catalog as a band. And I learned to appreciate them a lot more. Again, there was some help of that from playing the Beatles rock band when it came out. But this movie did help me do that. It It did introduce me to a lot of other Beatles songs that I didn't already know. And I do feel like, speaking of jukebox musicals in general, that a a good jukebox musical will do that. Will introduce you to songs that you may not have already known. Like you're here for the big ones that you're going to recognize, right? But when a song comes on, you're like, "Oh, I didn't know this was a Beatles song. I thought this was, you know, something like like if you've heard a cover, you didn't know realize it was a song by whatever band. The jukebox musical is, you know, come from whatever." Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say that happens with every jukebox musical. Like for example, Rock of Ages has just like all popular songs in it. Because they're pulling from different bands. Mm. But Mamma Mia has songs in it that I didn't know. 
that either I didn't know were an ABBA song or were just weren't as popular, but it introduced me to that song. And I think that's what a good, what a good jukebox musical can do is bring other songs into like your consciousness, mm. I suppose. Yeah. Oh, I do have two tiny points under why I liked it that we haven't talked about. Okay. Okay, two and a half. Uh, this is just a tiny thought as I was watching Taking Notes. Um, Lucy's speech about having kids is narcissistic made me laugh. <laughs> uh the like visual elements like the the choreography of the big group numbers especially mm-hmm. i mostly liked with a couple of exceptions like uh i don't even remember what song it is i'm pretty sure it's jojo walking down the street and everyone else is doing choreography and he's just walking he's like in the middle of a crowd mm-hmm. like that moment sticks in my yeah. brain yeah that's come together is that come together that's come together yeah oh okay well Again, there's so many moments that are just not memorable for me. Like I, I grasped <laughs> that that group number. Uh, I want you. I like the choreography in that. Yeah, yeah. That's it's that's a pretty neat one. Uh, there's another big one later on where I'm like, oh yeah, that that works. Yeah, the choreo specifically to mention uh, the with the I want you. She's so heavy. Mm-hmm. That song. Um, the choreo when they're doing the uh, examination. Yes. Yeah, Brilliant. that part is great. So good. Um, yeah, there were some moments where the choreography felt a little bit forced, but I'm trying to think of what I was thinking of specifically. It was something towards the beginning, I think. Eh, it's gone now. It's fine. It just This this movie really encapsulates 2007 <laughs> for me. You know, yeah, that's like the, fair. That that's fair. Just, I don't know, angstiness of the odds. <laughs> I mean, you. Yeah. so 2007, you sure. would have been, what, 18? Um, when this movie came out, I had just turned 18. Okay, yeah, I was 14, but I didn't see it, I think, until I was, like, 16-ish. Yeah, it came out in September, so yeah, I was 18 at the time when it came out. So, I I mean, arguably, you could have been more impressionable. I know, and I think maybe that's part of why I liked it so much, because I do remember watching it and thinking, like, oh, I really enjoyed, uh... Jim Sturgis's performance the first time I watched it. Like, especially at the Mm -hmm. beginning when he looks right at camera, I was like, I feel all the feelings. Like, I, I do remember that. And I remember uh, some of my classmates going on about Joe Anderson's performance, being like, oh, he's so great. And I was like, eh, whatever. I appreciated it more this time around. And I mm-hmm. really enjoy Evan Rachel Wood. Like, I forgot that she was in this. And she's a pretty oh, yeah. singer, and it makes me like her more. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a bad singer in the bunch. I'm the type of person who will watch something because of a particular actor more than the content of the thing. I got you. I mean, what what got me to watch this movie was I read the back and was like, oh, the Beatles. I'm like, oh, I like the Beatles. Is it musical with the Beatles? Sure, I'll give it a, I'll give it a watch. And I just bought it on a whim. We are dating ourselves a little bit. Like, remember a time when you couldn't <laughs> just like the pull the computer out of your pocket and watch or listen to anything you wanted? <laughs> right, like, yeah. Like, not knowing Oof. what songs were Beatles songs. There is unlimited information at my fingertips right now. It multiple sources yeah. of unlimited information. Like like you didn't have to go buy a CD <laughs> or or a DVD true. copy yeah. of something. That's true. And so like like the world really was different. Yeah. I was still hanging out on AIM often <laughs> in 2007. You know, I think I was as well. But anyway, like something I w- I would like to talk about a little bit is the difference between a movie musical and a live theater performance, okay. right? Again, because this is the first strictly move, movie musical we have. Well, and it may about. be the only one we ever talk about because, me, like all the other ones that I think would be worth covering, are 
either were a, an adaptation from the stage or have a stage adaptation from the film. Right. No, I suppose that's true. Um, it might be. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Wait until we talk about Repo. I was just going to say, we could do Repo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Anyway, um, well, I, mean, the, I think I think there are pros and cons to it. Mm-hmm. Like the with the movie, you are going to get the same performance every single time. Because it's on film, it's permanent, it's always going to be the same. And that's something I think that theater can have an advantage for because it, it it's not always going to be the same actor. It's not always going to be the same performance every right. single time. And so I think that's both a pro and a con because if you love something so much, like just as an example, um, you if you love My Fair Lady, there's not a movie version of Julie Andrews playing Eliza. Mm-hmm. You have the version with Audrey Hepburn, who's not actually singing, right? But that's the only version. Like some people are going to be able to watch from from like that time period of that particular show, right? Because we have the audio recordings, but YouTube wasn't around then, right? So you can't watch a slime tutorial of the original production of My Fair Lady, right? Right. And so I think you know, just as technology is advanced, we kind of have this opportunity to do that. I know something that we've talked about, and we talked to to our students about is that theater is temporary and that's why it's so great, right? Film film can be forever, but it might not always be. There are movies that have been lost to time, right? Whether through like mishandling or like weird rights issues, things like that. But you're more, much more likely to be able to watch a movie of a musical than you are to see the live production in its entirety, you know, uh, and with the original cast, depending on what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Musical theater's been around for a long time, and a lot of those shows, like pre-television or pre-film, have not been, have only documented with, you know, we we have the score, we have the lyrics, we have the book, and in some cases, we have a cast recording, but not always, right? But I guess what I'm just trying to say is that with a movie, you know what you're going to get. Every time you watch it, it's going to be exactly the same every single time. With theater, watching a like a live theater show, it's it is what it is. Whether you think it's good or bad, it is what it is. They cast who they cast. Mm-hmm. People are going to bring something different to it every single time you see it. Yeah, I think this is something that I notice, especially with our students, is that they get a they get a preconceived notion of what the thing is because of something that they have seen on a screen, whether it is a movie version or a pro shot or a slam <coughs> tutorial anyway. uh, like this is what that thing is and this is how it should always be instead of what I think is something really great about theater is that it does vary slightly from production to production or actor to actor like mm-hmm. you, you have the text and that's really all you have the rest is kind of what you make of it right. and while there are there is a place for imitation in art I don't think theater is necessarily an art form that is meant to imitate. That's the thing that's great about theaters. You're going to get lots of different interpretations of the same characters over and over again instead of watching the same performance the same way every single time with the film. And that's what's great, I think, is a pro, both a pro and a con of a movies versus theater musicals. Yes. Well, so this actually raises a question for me. Uh, do you think that we should be recording stage productions of shows? I think it is fine for posterity. I don't necessarily think that. Um, I think it, if like especially if it's a brand new, never before seen show, having a recording for posterity, I think is fine. You know, just like oh, we want to 
to you know have this immortalized in some way because like i said you know original productions from like the 40s and the 50s and the 30s we don't see any of that right um but we can see we, we can go back and watch them now i don't necessarily think that they need to be like released in theaters and that kind of thing but i know that there are like recordings of musicals and of operas and plays that do go to theaters occasionally. But I don't necessarily, like, I've not gone out of my way to go see something like that just because it doesn't particularly interest me because of the, uh, I don't know how to, how to, if this is the right word or not, but the finite amount of time that a, that a theater production is running. I think it's better to go see it that way than it would be to have, to watch a recording of it. But if you like you want to see the original production of the color purple it's available for you to go watch and so like i'm fine with like for posterity purposes and it can help you find like your favorite version of that show right or your favorite performances from a specific show because i mean there i'm sure there are theater productions where like the original production might not be the best production right yeah so, but having in you know, all these available and having not like multiple recordings, like revivals and things like that, I think is totally fine. It doesn't bother me. I just don't know if they should be like distrib- distributed, like publicly. Interesting. So, uh, what would you give this film as a musical overall? A rating out of ten. A rating like one out to ten. Ten. Um, I feel like this is a four for me. A four? Yeah, I, I want to kind of put it in the middle somewhere. Uh, it's it's not my favorite. I don't seek it out. In fact, yesterday when I was preparing to record today, I sighed to myself and said, ugh, I have to watch Across the Universe again. And I <laughs> like I don't actively hate it, but it's there's just so, so much that happens and so little that happens. It's just a lot of nothing for me. There are a few moments that I think are nice. But uh-huh. so much of it is just, like I will forget most of it again by the time I have to watch it again if I ever have to watch it again. Like I uh, truthfully don't remember sure. the back half of this hardly at all, and I watched it less than twenty four hours ago. Right. What rating would you give it? Well, I I think I would probably give this one six point eight because <laughs> it's like I think it's I think it's better than an average. Like okay, so. I'm going to go off IMDb movie ratings here. Okay. Typically, from what I have noticed, typically a movie that's like pretty middling, pretty okay, is usually rated around a 6, a 6, 6.5. Okay. Um, and then if it's really good, it's like somewhere around an 8 to, there's very few like perfect 10 movies, right? And I think that's probably true for everything. And there's not perfect, there's, there are perfect musicals out there as well, but like there are very few far between. There's not a ton, right? So I think this movie's pretty middling. I bump it up a little bit because it did make me feel things, and I like the Beatles music. That's and like I think there's some uh, creative ways in which the music is utilized, or there are more creative covers of songs. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm gonna that's that's where the point eight comes from. It's like I like some of the interpretations of the songs, but. Yeah, talking about it, it is it is all over the place with this movie, this plot. I don't know if it's a hundred percent hard to follow, but it is confusing if like you aren't really watching it. <laughs> I guess. Um, I think that's what I'd give it a, a six point eight out of out of ten. I did find a couple of uh, like short reviews or just like lines from reviews. Okay. 
uh, from Rotten Tomatoes. One, this one's from Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the film overall has a rating of 53%, which is not great, but it's not the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and the website's critical consensus says about this about across the universe that psychedelic musical numbers can't mask across the universe's cliched love story and thinly written characters. And I'm like, that's a fair assessment. That's kind of kind of what we've talked about a little bit. Like, I think maybe if we had less characters, we could delve into them more and it'd be a little more interesting. So I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. And then the other one actually comes from uh, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times, who apparently loved this movie. He gave it four out of five. Oh, sorry, a four out of four. And he called it an audacious marriage of cutting-edge visual techniques, heartwarming performances, 1960s history, and the Beatles songbook. Which, sure, I could I could see where he's coming from in that as well. I mean, there are definitely some pretty there's some pretty stunning visuals and some pretty trippy crap that happens in this movie. Uh, so there's that, and like I feel like it does utilize the Beatles songbook pretty well. Like I said, 34 songs is a lot of songs, and only some of them are like a line or two. Some of them are like the full song. Some of them are just instrumentals. Uh, but I mean, that's a lot. And the thing is, like. Until I started researching, like looking into this more and researching it, I didn't realize that jukebox musicals do that, that they will, oh, like for example, in Mamma Mia, I didn't know that Mamma Mia was actually in this, like the song Mamma Mia was in the show like six times. Yeah. It's used for background music in several scenes and I didn't know that. Or Dancing Queen. One, like those two songs are in it the most. Yeah, Dancing Queen's in it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Dancing Queen and Mamma Mia are in that, are in the show a lot. Not even counting the finale. That's like the big, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. The big finale. So like. Wait, what? The what? The big blah, blah, blah is what I said. <laughs> I'll, I'll repeat that. It's fine. Um, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I didn't even know that was really a thing that they did. But knowing that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Sure. We're in, you're in this world where you're using these songs to tell the story. Yeah. Why wouldn't you use, use instrumentals as background music? Mm-hmm. Um, also to all of our listeners out there, if you have any interest in watching across the universe or, um, want to, you know, if you have not seen it and you'd like to see it, or if you want to watch it again and you've seen it and loved it, or if you want to hate watch it, it is available on max right now, Yep. formerly HBO max. It is, but it is available for you to watch there right now. If you want to go see it, I know I double checked. I, that's how I watched it yesterday. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I own it. I own a copy of it. So that's why I watched it. I went on a stint for a while where I would just buy every Blu-ray of a musical I could find, except for South Pacific, because I hate you, South Pacific. hate South Next Pacific. Season. Shut up. hate it. I, we'll cover it eventually. I know that. We've covered your least favorite. We'll we cover my least favorite. We my least favorite. <laughs> I know. I know. So we'll cover my least favorite at some point. I just, I can't. I'm... I know that you you probably felt the way watching Joseph is I am going to feel wiving to watch South Pacific. And that's why I don't feel bad at all. <laughs> and that's that's fair. Honestly, that's fair. But the thing is, too, with me is like there are very few musicals that I dislike, like actively dislike. I kind of want to watch this with you now. <sighs> I don't want to just watch it separately and talk about it like want to i want to watch you watch this movie you want to watch my misery yes <laughs> and i'm gonna laugh and like i know that i'm sure there's someone out there who loves south pacific it's like it's their favorite show and there are like a couple songs i know that are from the show that are popular but the show is bad and i don't like it <laughs> anyway, anyway that's the show that's 
Across the universe. That's across the universe. We've talked about it at length. I feel pretty good about it. It's the Greatest Show, man. It's produced by Brantley Wheeler and Emily Chavone. Our theme song is by the incredibly talented Patrick Duffy. Links to all his social media in the episode description. You can find us on all the socials at Greatest Show Pod. Tweet at Emily and tell her why her opinions are bad and she should feel bad. If you have any suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. I type in across the universe interview and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven videos down. It says how I was like how across the spider verse came like I don't don't I'm not talking about across the spider verse. I haven't seen it and I want to see it, but I'm not talking about that. I want to talk about across the universe. This movie that nobody remembers that we talked about. Oh, people remember it. Oh, do they? Well, maybe they've repressed the memories. Maybe. I like it. I've watched it several times. And I will probably, at some point in my life, watch it again. I do enjoy this film. I'm happy for you. Yeah. I'm going to watch it the whole time and then think, like, Siobhan didn't hate this. (laughs) I didn't like it. But you didn't hate it. But you didn't hate it. Again, the bar is Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to cover anything that I hate more than that. We already, (laughs) you started with the big one. Yeah. On purpose. Ugh. You want to do a full season of Angela Weber? Replace me.